Hey everybody, welcome to Media Review Pod, a variety podcast of discussions, opinions, and interviews focusing on the entertainment side of media. My name is Richard Santiago, and today we're going to be talking to filmmaker, writer-director Anna Elizabeth James. We're going to be discussing touchstones in her career that have led her to where she currently is. We'll be touching upon her time in film school, and of course, her latest feature film, Destined to Ride, which premiered a couple of weeks ago and is on every video-on-demand platform out there, so go watch it. If you'd like to reach us with any comments, questions, feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is mediareviewpod at gmail.com. Once again, that's media, R-E-V-U-E-pod at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is at mediareviewpod. Once again, that's at media, R-E-V-U-E-pod. Very simple. Straight to the point. Now, enough of my rambling. Here's our conversation with Anna Elizabeth James. Enjoy. Hey, Anna. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us on uh, Media Review Pod. This is great to have you on. I really appreciate your time. I hope you're not too busy. <laughs> Just, oh, you know, trying to keep busy with writing. Are you working on something currently? Yeah, actually a couple things. I'm working on a story that takes place in Vietnam. Um, and then I'm also working on an erotic thriller, which are... Uh, Two, two ideas that are very different than what, you know, I've been making lately. Did you get your coffee yet? Yes. Okay. Two cups. Yeah, well, I, I had mine. Um, as a matter of fact, um, <laughs> I'm a, I love coffee. I mean, if I can't start my morning without the coffee. And I recently bought this really cool cup they sell at uh, Starbucks. And it's an electric cup that warms your coffee. You know, kids come, come running around. You're doing stuff, you leave your coffee on the table, you forget about it, and then you have to put it back in the microwave, and it just doesn't taste the same. So with this cup, it's fantastic, because it keeps your cup warm for at least two hours. Oh, I need that. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Ember, by the way. Uh, they're not sponsors, but I uh, just wanted to let you know that's a pretty cool cup, really worth it. Anyway, Ember, buy it. That's amazing, I love it. Yeah. yeah that's that's, cool. that's one of the perks of living in the future. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, okay. what, what, it's 10 o'clock and on your side, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. In the land of Utah. <laughs> so you, so you're not living in California anymore? Is that it? Well, we actually, we, we have our apartment still there. Um, because we okay. got in like six or seven years ago, we have a really good like rate or rent. Um, so we couldn't let it go. And then, you know, it's just really affordable to live not in California. <laughs> I and, understand um, that. The goal is to write as much as possible because we can't do anything without good scripts or hopefully good scripts. Yes, that, that I completely yeah. understand that. And uh, as a matter of fact, I don't live in California either. We, uh, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we moved about a year and a half ago and we're living in Florida. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I need to come visit you guys. Oh, for I sure. Need, I need a reason to come to Florida. I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love California, but now and then as artists, we need to explore other worlds. So, so how does it compare? I mean, because you lived several years in, in, in L.A. as a writer, yes? And now you yeah. have you, you live in, in, in Utah. So how does that how does that compare? You know, when you when you think about the daily tasks of like laundry or dishes or just 
making food or all of these things, um, you know, you want efficiency. And it's so much more efficient here because you can afford better circumstances. Yes. And so that, that allows for more time. I, I find that I really only have like four to five good hours of focus, like good creative energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything interrupts that or hinders that, it's, it's sort of like being in a hamster's wheel. So yeah, it's like, to me, it's an adventure. I don't know how long the adventure will last. <laughs> um, obviously my kids go to school here, but oh, really? I sure all want to, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I have four, I have four kids. Yes, that um, I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and that my two teen boys play sports. So the sports programs that they're in, in these schools are just phenomenal and they're okay. public. And so that's always good for an artist to not have to pay private school fees. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was it a tough move for them? Um, well, they were here. They were in California, and then um, we realized the wisdom in having them be here with their dad when he moved here. Mm. And so then it was just a, a matter of me getting here for my older three, and then Lucy, um, who's four, our yes. toddler. Wow. She, um, we we had a wonderful preschool community uh, where we lived in in Culver City. Mm-hmm. So we we're sad to leave that, but here she's gets to do so many extracurricular activities for like quarter of the price so that as a as a parent you just feel good about that for your kids and then you can also be more selfish about your art which is again like the bottom line for me um to be able to write more yeah i know here's the thing i i write as well and people always say but can't you just sit down and write and it's really (laughs) hard to explain but that's not how it works, at least not for me. I don't know about you, but I sit down to write, and I'm a good hour, hour and a half, where I'm just there, just doing nothing, just thinking, just looking at the screen, and I see the cursor blinking, telling me write, write, write. You have to write. have, yeah, you have to have to set the time aside. And no, it's a good thing you, a good point you brought up. Um, back in film school, we were in film school together mm-hmm. first year. Um, I came across. Stephen King's book on writing. Okay. And it was a profound experience for me to read this book because the first half of his book is his journey and how he sold Carrie. I don't know if you remember, but that was his big sale. Um, but they were in the poorhouse and he was working two jobs and he was writing things on the side and he'd toss them in the garbage and his wife Tabitha would pull it out of the garbage and she would say, This is really good, keep writing. But anyway, one of the things that he did for his jobs is he um, did laundry and he found that the monotony of that job allowed for his brain to think creatively. So if I ever get stuck, I'll go do laundry or I'll Mm -hmm. go do the dishes or I'll do something that doesn't require a lot of brain power. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and suddenly like the wheels start turning because you daydream so much of what we're doing is, is, imagining and daydreaming which sounds so trite but it really is the truth and that's sometimes where the best ideas come is when you're the most at ease like when you're you know bored I guess you could say like Mm -hmm. um Peter Robinson one of our teachers at USC in the screenwriting program he has this philosophy there's like the tortoise side of your brain and the hair side and you have to figure out where you thrive as a writer Mm -hmm. so for me the hair side is like producer, 
boots on the ground, like get after it, you know? And when I'm, when I'm that active and crazy in my brain, I can't write. I cannot. Right. And, um, so when I'm like chilling or I psych myself out that I'm secretly bored, (laughs) even though you're not, um, like, you know, just sometimes just sitting there and just chewing on something and looking out the window or, you know, those just to start, there's certain exercises you can do too. But, um, anyway, once that starts to happen, I actually pick up a pen and paper and it's like a stream of consciousness. And that stream is really, I've just learned over the last, like, especially the last two movies, four years, well, movies and the scripts I've written, that some of the best parts of the script happened when I had that stream. But then obviously like when I'm in it and I'm like cruising through pages, um, I'm on my laptop because that's, there's a whole other art form, I think in, in like the page design and how, you know, you lay down the scene and everything. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think the pen and paper is really helpful. And, you know, even with my teenage son who had to write an essay the other day for back to school, he hated it. And I was like, <laughs> put your laptop away and just, write your thoughts down in your book. And he's like, I can do that. And I'm like, yeah, just, you know, break some rules, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so screenwriting now as, um, as a writer director on your own versus being a student, which by the way, to our listeners, if it's not evident enough, Anna and I, we were classmates on film school. So just, just so you guys know, you know, we, we weren't, BFFs of, or anything like that, but you know we've we've kept in touch, right? Um, Facebook's well, been yeah, really you, helpful. Yeah, we worked on a project together. We on a project, yes, yes. I got to see you start your family, and yeah, I mean we're in the same semester, and when you're in the same semester, I don't know, like you, they're your comrades, like, right? For yeah, life, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so so versus uh, doing it right now compared to to what we were doing over there back then. Um, is it more stressful <laughs> for you now? Um, just because it's, I mean, it's your, 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 your livelihood, right? Right, right. That's a really interesting question. Um, you know, I think right after school, after I graduated, I think that was the hardest part because in, in my former life, I don't know how it was for you in your former life. And when I say former life, I mean before film school. Um, wow. So, so that's, you know, that's, that's what you mark. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, well, listening to it, it feels like, like there's this big, huge mark, like right yes. before film school and then after film school. Yeah. Before film school, I lived in this world where you get a paycheck every other week and you, I don't know, you just live. You're just <laughs> like chugging along. Yeah, and you're like, and you, and you think about people that don't get consistent paychecks, and you're like, how I could never do that? That's so scary. But um, anyway, so after film school, it was that adjustment, and I just dug my heels in to the idea that I would not l- relinquish my time for writing. Like I would do whatever it took to keep writing because I knew, you know, that with the 10,000 hours or whatever, just keep on swimming, mm-hmm, <laughs> just mm-hmm. keep doing it. Yeah, do it and like Dory. So, once I realized that, like, if you only have three eggs in the fridge and some little bit of butter and some bread <laughs> um, and that you can survive with peanut butter, too, like, yeah, you're going to be fine. You know, um, you just don't realize as a society we depend on so much. And so when you strip that all away, 
what are you left with? You're left with your skills and your talent and your energy. And so hinge on that. Um, there's this idea that someone told this to me. It was actually a mentor from the WGA when I got into the WGA, which is, which is great. It was a blessing. Um, that's a whole other long story. But anyway, I had this mentor and she was so sweet. She said, you know, my whole philosophy on, on breaking into Hollywood or, or doing this thing, whatever you call it, um, storytelling is it's, it's like a big castle fortress and you're just trying to, you're scaling the wall and you're trying to find your crack or your way in. And then once you slither through the, the crack seals up and, and it's such a great metaphor because everyone has their way in. Right. Everyone has their own path and you can't compare. Now go- going back a little, just, just a tad bit before, mm-hmm. before I left uh, film school, you, you were a mother of three right mm-hmm. and then <laughs> and then a couple of years later you were a mother of four yes i know I, how how I grew up in only <laughs> how big was that shock because your kids were already raised almost yeah and the hard then part was over yeah, yeah just but then starting all over I again know. while you're out of no. uh, of graduate uh, studies and i mean it, right how, how was that Right, right. I, I should be cruising at that point. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, the early 20s, so I had children in my 20s, and that was hard. Anyone who has, well, just children, period, little ones, it mm-hmm. is so hard. The path is so hard. And I'm going to tell anyone who's listening, just hang on. It will get better. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> it will get better. Um, you will find yourself again. But anyway, yeah, it's a huge sacrifice. Um, you know, I had the three and then Michael and I, we met in film school and he doesn't have any. I also grew up in a, as an only child and all I wanted as a kid was my own like gang, my own little crew, family, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And so um, I just, we just decided to go for it and it was basically our graduation gift to ourselves. Um, nice. <laughs> that blind, silly, I don't want to say stupid face, but, you know, it's just like, just jump, just jump and go for it. And I'm really glad we did. Of course, Lucy is a spitfire and she keeps me on our toes. And mm. anyway, it's, it's good. It's like I said, um, a writer's life is a precarious one. And, I kind of revel in the chaos a little bit, if that makes any sense. So again, like, this doesn't mean to say anyone else should go have four children. <laughs> it just means, you know, just do what you've got to do. But, um, you know, and it was such a blessing to have the the three older children help with the young. That's like when you really graduated because you're like, oh, I raised the older kids pretty good. They can change diapers yeah, and they can, nice. you know, do all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Lucy's in um, preschool now and, and the, yeah, and then I, my oldest is going away to college, oh so there's, not, there's a big stand Wait, there. That, that, make, that, that makes me feel really old. <laughs> oh man, because I remember no, you can... she was what? She was ten. She was yeah. yeah she was she like was ten. Was... Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, and she's I know. Well, yeah, that's fantastic. She's... That's great. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so um. Going back uh, a little bit more, um, can you tell us where you were born and raised? I was born actually in Green Bay, California, 
which is of Marin County. Um, so up north. Yeah, up north. Okay. And my father was a veterinarian of large animals. He grew up in the Midwest and didn't want to have cold winter. So he settled in California. Um, that was a great choice. I love that choice because it, it is beautiful country up there. Um, best of both worlds. And then my mom was into horses and trained horses. And that's how they met. Um, unfortunately, they divorced. But actually, it was a really healthy relationship. I, I feel so lucky. I had such a wonderful rich childhood and when I say that I mean I was dirty every day I played with all sorts of kids all sorts of backgrounds um I got to see just so much and just as you get older you start to realize like the things in your childhood how they it can be such gifts you know Mm -hmm. when when you're in it you're like how is this anything exciting um so I got to go on calls with my dad and I'm sure there's like some epic veterinarian story in me that will come out one day so yeah and and then my mom moved to the suburbs because it was where she could um find work and so i i teetered back and forth between the suburbs of northern california and the countryside so so being being an only child uh i'm assuming that you played by yourself a lot yes were you making mini movies in your head while you were playing no i remember being like 10 or 11, maybe 12, I don't know how old, but and I was playing with these kids in the summer in the countryside, and we would, would listen to the soundtrack of Top Gun. Okay. <laughs> and we thought we were, like, I don't know, little Top Gun people, but um, <laughs> so I guess that's the only way that I can like, describe how the movies influenced the childhood, but the biggest thing was I was an avid reader. I loved Christopher Pike books and all of, like, the you know, spooky, scary, like, teen stuff, mm-hmm. which I still love today. And um, I loved wrangling all the kids in the neighborhood, whether it was on a ranch or in, like, wherever I was being watched or whatever. I would love to grab a couple and then go find more. And then we would, like, go do something, you know, either build a fort or create something. And then in junior high, seventh grade, I was telling my seventh grader, just started junior high this week, um, I signed up for the radio and television club and I was obsessed. I wanted to create um, our own TV show. So there was definitely like when you go back, it was like, oh, I'm sort of doing what I'm doing now. Like, oh, you would be good for this. And like, this is where you belong. And like, come, like, let's create something. And and um, I never had a desire to be in front of the camera. I always had a desire to like, get everyone organized and let's do this, you know, let's do this thing that's like really hard, but it's going to be so much fun and we're going to make people laugh or, or we're going to scare people or whatever. And was there a, was there a particular thing that sparked your creative juices as far as filmmaking goes? Uh, was there a movie or something in particular that you remember you can go back and say, Hey, that's, yeah, I remember that's, that's when I said, I want to be a filmmaker. Oh, that's a good question. No one's asked me that before. I was trying to figure out if I was a writer because that was really daunting and scary. Um, I was hosting a book club every week and I found, I met this writer, this novelist in San Francisco and he said, you should come to our writers group and bring something you've written. So I came, I went and they read pages aloud and he read what I'd written and he took his glasses off and looked right at me and he's like, you're not a novelist. (laughs) And I was mortified. And he goes, you're a screenwriter. And I was like, what is that? And, 
you know, that was when I was in the hospital one. So I was like, uh, you know, completely in another world. Okay. so I was like, oh, screenwriting, like that's a thing. And, and you know, and it just kind of like made sense because I was always involved in media and I was like, well, could I do that? And then I just couldn't figure out if I was like just a screenwriter or if I could like actually be that or- orchestrator, you know, like a director or, or something like that, a producer. And I went to Sonoma Valley Film Festival and they were showing Waitress. Right. Yes. Yeah, with Carrie Russell. Right? And uh, yeah, and I was so moved by it because it was a story of a of a woman who is secretly um, in a, an abusive relationship mm-hmm. and doesn't have the financial means and is pregnant to get out. And I not only loved the movie and needed it at that time, just to in terms of not that I was in the same position, but just just in terms of like, how do you do a hard thing? Um, and, mm-hmm. and so I didn't know after the credits were, were rolling, I looked up the, um, trying to find it right now. Adrian oh, Shelley. I looked up. Yes. Adrian Shelley. There we go. Um, I looked her up and I found out that she had passed away. Mm-hmm. She was actually murdered. killed, um, murdered. And, you know, it's really dismal, but I, I was like profoundly affected. I was just like, how can this happen? How, like, here's someone who breaks through, female director, mm-hmm. writes, writes the material, gets it made. You know, and I just, I felt like there was like a hole in the universe, and that I had to make it right. Like I had to. It. I felt this like mantle fall on me. But I have no luxury in just saying, well, I can only screen or I can only do this. Like, I need to push myself to hopefully do more than that. And so that's sort of where it started. It was like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And I will do as much as I can in her honor or whatever. It's just, you know, things I told myself in my brain. So that was, that was probably the turning point. Okay. And how soon after that did you apply to film school? It was right after. I applied okay, wow. and I, okay. yeah, I didn't think I would get in. Okay. Um, cause I thought that my resume was horrible and, um, yeah. And I got in the first try. So I, I sort of committed to, apply. I'm like, I'll just apply every year for the next three years or five years mm-hmm. until they let me in. And I really wanted to go to USC. I really studied like what they teach and I love that they, they taught all five arms you know sound editing directing producing writing and And it consistently comes out as the number one film school in the usa yeah (laughs) so that yeah (laughs) yeah okay all right yeah i got i guess i got lucky or i don't know so so then i don't want to put words into your mouth but um, if I'm reading this correctly, after Waitress, that's kind of like your, that's the line we were talking about before, where there's life before film school and then there's life after. Is that, yeah. is that about right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, so, <laughs> you, so you go into film school, um, and then, um, by the way, I, re- I, I remember just being around you, you always had this this great enthusiasm (laughs) 
about making movies, <laughs> which I hope you haven't outgrown that. Um, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. No, yeah, seriously, I, I seriously. I, really, I did. Okay, because there, I there were like days where I, there were days where I literally said, uh, "Where, where, where does she get all this energy, this hype?" I don't know if I was <laughs> jaded because of you know some because of my uh, my, my what happened before that line for me before film school. Uh -huh. Um, right. but, but yeah, that, that was, that was something I, I always admired about you. Um, oh, so, that's so sweet. Yeah. I felt like I was such a baby and didn't <laughs> know so many things. And like, I was just, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's better. You don't know everything. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Night, I, I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you go to film school, um, and then I don't see you for a while. Right. So what what happened? What was there? Um, I don't know. Were you working on, on a particular movie or? Something? Yeah, yeah. I think um, so. I t because I took all these writing classes, I could graduate without a thesis. Okay. And I was like, I really struggled with that because I was like, well, but everyone has a thesis. That's a filmmaker. Like, I'm not gonna just skip out on this opportunity. But then I also was in this place of I really wanted to know for myself if I could take someone else's idea mm -hmm. and bring it to life rather than my own idea. Like I wanted to know if I was just, you know, quote, unquote, an okay director because I, because I was bringing to life my material that, you know, the little scenes or shorts that we were writing, or was it because I could actually direct, you know? And so I, was approached by a group of girls with this script. And so I sort of decided to do that as my thesis. It's not an official thesis, but I ended up doing that. That was a pilot. It's called Diary of a Teenage Nobody. Okay. And I just really focused on exercising my directing muscles versus writing. And so that really actually helped so much in terms of, you know, it's like the crowded kid, wax on, wax off. Like you can't just skip the steps. You know, like you, you really, it, it sounds exciting to skip the rung on the ladder, on the ladder. Mm -hmm. um, but you kind of need it shouldn't. so that you know what you're getting into. Right. Like you, you know, we hear of our friends, some, there's a few that like made this little short and then they went off and make this huge budget movie. And that's great and exciting, but not, in my opinion, not really, because I can't even imagine the stress or anxiety, you know? I'd rather just go every step of the way. And so when I have arrived there, hopefully someday, if that ever happens, I'll know exactly how to handle it, you know, all the scenarios. Now, obviously, you're not going to know now, everything. Was, was uh, the, the diary of uh, Teenage Nobody, was that before or after Apple of My Eye? That was after, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Apple of My Eye because uh, for our listeners, um, Anna... And Michael Corbell, you guys mm -hmm. were the first to make a movie, even though it was a short, but it's still considered a movie, on an mm -hmm. iPhone, right? I mean, this mm -hmm. this is a thing. This is recorded into history, right? <laughs> yes, it's yeah. a thing. Yes, it's yeah. online. Yeah, that was so fun. We just we just were talking one night because the new iPhone was going to arrive, mm -hmm. and it was like, we should just make a film with it we should just do it. Like, let's see if we can do it and how good we can make it. We didn't 
back then you didn't really understand like followers or views or anything like that. It was more of the, the spirit of, it, can we do this? And so we made this little short on the iPhone and sure enough, it just blew up and, you know, you're just breaking it down to like the core essentials. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, if you push the camera in here, this is what it does. And if you pull it back or like, you just, it helps you get it straight in your brain that these, these fundamentals are what matters. And we got so much flack from people like at school, like, what are you doing? You're going to ruin filmmaking as we know it. Really? Yes. Because people are afraid of change. You know, people are afraid of, they just, that's just a normal human reaction. You know, I don't blame them, but at the same time, it was like, um, do you see what's coming? Because, like, if you, if you have a camera and you have an idea, you can do yeah, anything. I mean, I, I don't know if discriminating on the, on the on the medium helps. I mean, just as long as you get to tell your story. Yeah, well, you're, well you might be a story lover, and like I am, but there's also those, you know, Film, film, film lovers who love that film and love the the old school. They want to keep that intact, which I'm totally behind. I have I have great respect. It's okay, just, so so after Apple of My Eye, um, you did the uh, the Coke commercial, right? Well, no, no, no. The Coke commercial was before that. That was in our second year of school. Okay, and was that, was that part was of so a competition? Yeah, it was a competition, and I remember so many guys came up to me. Guys, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just be, I'm not, don't flack on the guys, but truly so many guys that were like hardcore filmmakers were like, I knew it. I knew you were secretly competitive, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to compete. What do you think I'm doing? Think I'm just going to like sit around here? Like, because it was a competition, and I busted we, my producer and I, we busted, you know, mm-hmm. ourselves to turn in the best idea storyboard, you know, and we got we got awarded the money. So that was really fun. Yeah. Well, here's here's one thing that I want to point out is I've I've read several interviews from you and and from Michael as well. Um, and and this always came up this thing of you can be good, right? And that's that's why you're in film school, right? Because not everybody gets in, but you won't always strive to be the best. Is that is that would that be a correct quote? Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're competing against yourself ultimately. Like competition gets the juices going, and they bring out the best in you, and they put you in a pinch, and they create opportunities, you know, that allow you to think of things you otherwise wouldn't have thought of. And so, when it comes to like your, you know your journey and what you're trying to become as a person or as an artist, like, you know, a little competition is good. And it also, you know, it's so funny. Um, just in this journey with these movies that I've made in the last four years, I've found that so many of our friends are just not, um, they want to meet up for coffee or whatever and talk. And I'm like, great, let's do it. And they want to know how this or how that. And I'm like, you have to, and they'll bring, they'll present their idea that they're working on. And I'm like, okay, this isn't, this is good, but, you know, what market? Like, I'm, I, I, we're not, you know, we're not here to make art for, right. For, yeah, I mean, for like a specific, you, you it can be, to, you it can be an indie film where nobody goes out and see it or, 
you can maybe try and make that a four quadrant kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Why not? Like if, if you just add like a couple tweaks to your story, you'd have the whole book, the, this whole bucket, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so, and then, then you're going to reach more people and you're going to get better distribution. And so we can't just like ignore well, commerce. Well, speaking of, of uh, distribution, I remember you guys also had um, Goldilocks, right? Yes. Yes. Which was, uh, would you consider that webisodes or episodes or, because I remember, I remember there was a, there was an app for that, right? Yeah, we, we thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we made an app and we, we had people download the app and then distribute episodes through the app. Um, so that, that was really fun, that concept. And obviously now there's media apps and you can stream things from those apps. But mm-hmm. just that spirit of independence and that spirit of, of what pushing back, you know, the little engine that could. And <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the other thing like is this was the next evolution from Apple of My Eye. I mean, you, you guys were able to take genre filmmaking, like a, if I remember correctly, it was a spy kind of deal, thriller. Mm-hmm. You guys put yeah. cameras in crazy places. Um, these episodes were two or three minutes. Um, yeah. And they were always very fast-paced, kind of like, 24 or alias yes. kind of thing. Uh, yes. They were really fun. And, and so I think, I think yeah, I think you guys were not only telling a cool story that, that obviously you wanted to tell, but um, you were also pushing what was what was possible on, on the little iPhone. Yes, on that little iPhone. You know, those were the good old days. <laughs> like, I don't, it's funny because, like, I don't know if I'd go back to that because I have different goals right now um, and things right in front of me but at that time mm-hmm. it just seemed like the wisest best thing I could do we could do is to stretch this boundary or to think out of the box I love that I love thinking differently approaching things in a different way and, and your crazy idea maybe not maybe isn't that crazy so I think every time you exercise those muscles it's so healthy you know? Okay, so so you were exercising those muscles, right? And did you direct some of those episodes? Was it a, like a co-directing kind of thing with Michael? Yeah, so we split them up. We actually split them up because we feel like it's unfair to your actors to have two people shouting at you okay. for talking to you. <laughs> so we actually split them up, and like only one person was allowed to talk to the actors in each episode. And it was it was actually the three minute episodes came from a pilot that I had written, like, Alias, that okay. was, like, 26 pages, and we just took it up, we took it and, and chopped it up um, and, and did it that way. And Okay. And then you directed a short film for, for, the, for the film school, right? One of these uh, yes, big so. production classes. Haven's Point, right? Yes I, want, yes, I wanted to go through the political realm. <laughs> I wanted to experience that because I knew that, like, you know, the horror stories of, of dealing with um, making a movie through a school can be hard. And I thought, well, if it's hard, then maybe maybe that's a good thing because maybe that's how it is at studios. Mm-hmm. Well, for that <laughs> so class in particular, I mean, everybody's chiming in. Not only the, yeah. not only your professors, you have all your classmates just chiming in. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got to be able to handle it, and you can't take it personally. And, mm-hmm. and you know, 
it was one of those things where it's like, well, if you can make a movie that's kind of good or good in this class, you can do anything. You know, mm-hmm. it's that same idea. And so, yeah, we made Haven's Point, teen thrillers. And I do love to have a little bit of heart in all of my stories. Mm-hmm. It's just something that definitely comes out. And so even though I love thrillers, I do, for me, the golden egg is um, a little bit of that heart. So that that film has that too. And um, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm proud of the work our team did on that. And everyone, you know, oh, that, that was also, I was in that class before we actually did that film. I was in the class with um, Coob when he did Fit. Yeah, I, I remember, I remember. By the way, Coog, yeah. when, when when Anna says Coog, she's talking about Ryan Coogler, the director of the f- biggest flop ever for Marvel, Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> right, I know. So yeah, Those keep going, little, I'm sorry. Guys. Yeah, so that was really, I mean, definitely, um, you know, there's some major talent that goes through that, that class. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if you can survive it, you you are doing something right. So, but you know, I, I just, I wanted to make a, a, a film through the school so badly. And so I think I, I pitched like three times. I lost the first two, never made it. And then it was my final chance and I got it. Mm. So that's another um, story on just get up and go again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a suspense horror film, right? Which by the yeah. way, has a, pretty sweet hook at the end <laughs> and i i just want to know is genre something that calls to you sci-fi horror fantasy that type of stuff yes okay yes oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's where i want to live yeah that's where all like most of my ter- my material is in there in mm-hmm. that space um it just so happens that my last the two features are not in that space, but you have to take what opportunities are presented to you. And if it's in right in your gut, you got to grab it, you know? Right. Right. Okay. And then you finally see the release of your shirt, the boy in the woods, which you co-directed with, yes. with Daniel Hannah. Um, yes. which by the way, that's one of the films that connect us. Cause I was the editor for that. Um, yes, you did such a good job. <laughs> Thank you. What, um, what took so long? Yeah, so Daniel Hanna, who actually just finished his first feature mm-hmm. there in post-production, yay, Hanna, um, we met in a writing class, and yeah, we just connected on this this idea of these two kids, and the class loved the script, and they were like, we'll help you make it, so we shot it that summer with all of our grit and no money, and then those projects in film school just like devour your time so it got buried so I just really felt like we owed it especially to our team you know and and the people who did donate so that's how we found you you I think you volunteered or you said I'll help you and yeah uh, I was like so we were so excited and yeah we did it that summer and I'm so grateful and I think it turned out really good you know considering we did it after our first year <laughs> yeah yeah, well, that even even though um, it took so long, I, I I always thought that the the film um, was one that you guys made thinking maybe about your childhood um, and a coming of age kind of story where you realize your place in this world and how you've matured from being a kid. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, that, very much. Something that I've always liked about that story. Uh, so yeah. that same year, I believe you made a project with another of our mutual colleagues, Leonora. Will you explore womanhood through pictures? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, yes, so Leonora. By, by the way, Leonora, she, 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 also, she was also in film school. Uh, I think you guys, the, our listeners are kind of seeing a pattern here where we kind of work with people <laughs> that we already know. <laughs> Uh, so, so, love, yeah. right. so Le Leonora is a great DP. She's a great photographer. You can check out her stuff at her website. Um, but t tell me, how, how did this project come about? Did she come up to you? Did you come up to her? Um, did you have any input in, in the content of, of those pictures? Yeah, she just had this vision and she came up to me and she said, I just really think you'd be good for this. And, you know, at, at the, the, the end of the day, she's a director too, and mm -hmm. um, I mean she's she's a DP now, but she she was in this project. She's a director, and and I want to support my friend as a director, and it was such a good experience for me to be directed by someone. And that's another thing is like, if I want to be a good director, I need to understand what it's like to be on this side. And so and she was so great. The sensitivity. And Did you ever take any acting classes? I mean. No, I think I think we did um, like in Kagan directing class. Jeremy right. Kagan, he mm -hmm. had me be an actress a couple times, so I got to do that in front of okay. all our peers. Yeah. So that I, was I fun. remember that. <laughs> I remember that. Um, yeah, I probably should do more, but um, but anyway, what the biggest thing I learned with Leonora is like that sensitivity and and just really listening to your talent is like really important. You know, I felt so safe. So I really enjoyed that experience, not only for the end product, but for the, the journey that we had in doing it. Well, for those pictures, I also think that what pops from them is the different colors. You have really bright yellows, you have uh, whites, you have reds. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really cool uh, project and, and portrait that you guys made. Oh, thank you so much. That is so sweet. I hope, I hope Leanna, if you ever listen to this, we appreciate that because I think it's just so good to highlight female filmmakers, you know? <laughs> I know, <Yeah>. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, so um, tell me a little bit about Zone 2 because I learned that it was part of a showcase for, for uh, films made by women. So how did that come about? Yeah. The final result made it into the Etheria Film Festival, which is a genre film festival for women. So a mutual friend put me on a list with the producers of this film. And so I got an email and I was like, sure, send me the script. So I read the script and I was like, oh, I could totally do this. I understand the psychology of this. It's, it's basically the story of a mother and a son who are surviving in a bunker okay. from like a nuclear war and she goes out and leaves the bunker to go fetch supplies and then returns okay some, you know things get interesting um <laughs> so they emailed me and then i just wrote them back and i and i had just had lucy so okay. i was like in that place of like wait am i Am I reverting back to my twenties, or am I have I actually graduated? Like, what is going on? Like, it was a very confusing time, and and I really felt like it was important for me to sink my teeth into something while having an infant, because mm -hmm. I need I also then want to understand what that's like 
um, for our fellow filmmakers. And so, because I really, like like we talked about earlier, the, the children were, were older when I went to um, film school. So mm-hmm. with the new baby, it was, so I think she was like three or six months and the producers were oh. fantastic. They didn't, they didn't look at my, you know, infant child as a, as anything. I mean, she didn't go to any of the meetings or anything. We had someone watching her. So it was a working mom status type of thing. But I just enjoyed that and um, really, really in awe of the producers for their commitment. And then while you were doing that, were you working on Project Greenlight as well? Or did that come after? Yes, that was right after. Okay, and wow. Project so Greenlight, so you're, they... you're just jumping from one thing to another, man, with a baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? Well, it's like that hustle, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, got a hustle, got a hustle. Yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm looking for the feature. Where's the feature? When am I going to do the feature? And, and this opportunity came up. Project Greenlight was rebirthed. And they were like, okay, we're looking for the top. 20 filmmakers to be a part of this reality show and I was like I can do this like I'm ready you know so you had to submit a video and you had to submit some of your work and everything but you could only pick one project Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I picked the right project because they're in film that they ended up doing isn't in the same tone or style or like realm as that and so anyway i didn't i wasn't chosen in the top 20 but i was chosen in like the top 50 or 100 or something okay and do you feel like that experience um was worth it even though you were just you you, you i mean not you just you, yeah. you made the 50 so i mean that's big um yeah but I, I was a little bit frustrated because i felt like i mean I love all the filmmakers who made that final list. I mm-hmm. think they're all great, but I do feel I did feel like I was more ripe for the challenge than many of them were. And I was like, did they pick them because their personalities? Like, why? Why not me? And so you get in that place where you like feel bad for yourself, mm-hmm. and then you just pick yourself back up. But it was worth it. Um, I was. I will say. I don't know if I can do this on a podcast. But I was pissed off, and I think that whenever you get pissed off about something, that gives you energy. Okay. For the next thing, yeah, right. You mm-hmm. channel it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, here while we're talking, I've noticed this trend, and you know, also going back through your work and these last two films that you've made, um, I've seen a trend in in your stories where there's always uh, like an odd one out. You know, that's the mm-hmm. one that doesn't belong, um, and then the character kind of finds a way in. Uh, not not that they learn to fit in, but more that they learn how to become their own person and and find a way to deal with uh, the issues that surround them. Um, I'm thinking about uh, something like Haven's Point, where you have this young woman and she's being kind of bullied into a situation, and she finds a way to not only survive a, a, a what I would call a terrible prank, um, but mm-hmm. uh, get a little revenge on the side. Um, <laughs> yeah. or or uh, or diary of a of a teenage nobody, uh, where the main character does find her place by just being who she is. Not only not only mm-hmm. her, but her friends. Um, and then you have Emma's chance, uh, where, mm-hmm. which by the way is your first feature, and you mm-hmm. have Emma <laughs> facing this drastic change in her life. Um. And it leads her to 
learn from her mistakes and become someone uh, that she never thought she'd be. And she's right. uh, she's kind of thrown into this setting that's completely alien to her. And again, she's she's the odd one out. Is this something that, yeah. that you like to pursue? <laughs> Um, that's so it's, cool like you're like my you're like my writing psychologist I like this <laughs> I should do this more often <laughs> I should you should pay or you should uh, you know charge me $150 an hour hey we can do Zelle <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously do you have Venmo? <laughs> Um yeah that's really interesting I guess I guess I would say that if I've learned anything it's if I don't if I don't find the truth, if I don't speak my truth, what I know is to be true, it will not resonate. Okay. And so I, I guess I just, whenever I'm chewing on something, my window in has so much to do with, um, with, with that, I guess from my own personal journey, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it has something to do with that because I was, I moved around a lot. I moved every year, started mm-hmm. a new school. I was always, the new kid, the odd one out. And I have so much empathy for anyone who's the odd one out. I mean, I just, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm a writer. Maybe I'm just constantly trying to process that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting. It's like, even, even with the thrillers, um, with those ideas, you can find comfort. I don't even know if that's the right word, but if, if there's truth in it, there's always going to be some sort. That's what pulls audience in because at some, at some point they have empathy for someone who's going through something mm-hmm. and we want to see if they're going to make it out. Okay. And, um, you know, these, these family movies that I was, had the opportunity to do, um, which I never thought I would do family and just, you know, Oddly enough, um, I know, who would have thought? It just was never something they brought up in film school. It was not even, like, on the docket. Like, we never analyzed family films. I mean, I think we analyzed, like, Toy Story 2 or something. Um, so when it, when, when the opportunity arose, I was like, oh, yeah, there's, like, family movies that get, like, G and PG ratings. I was like, ugh, do I want to do that? And, and I was like, well, wait a minute. And you think about all the fa- all the family movies that you watched as a kid, like Goonies, and you know, there's all these like babysitter movies. I don't know. There's just so many fun ones that I just remember as a kid. And I was like, well, who's gonna make those for my kids? And I was like, well, if no one's making them, maybe I should make a couple. <laughs> um, that works. So that that sort of yeah. And I was like, well, if I could find a window in, then maybe I can like actually make something worthy here. So as your feature film, Emma's Chance, what is what was that like? Did you feel ready? Was it intimidating? You know, I felt so ready. Um, it was super challenging, and it was like 105-degree weather. Ooh. I mean, middle of the summer. It was 14-day shoot, 100 pages, 101 pages. Um, bless our actors for signing on board with a first-time director. Um because that really is the biggest hurdle is to get, you know, good talent and name talent. Mm-hmm. It was challenging, but I definitely, like I said, because of all the wax on, wax off experiences, I, 
I feel like I was able to handle all the situations um, fairly well, even the most intense. And we ended up with a great product. I'm really proud of it. Um, you know, like I said, with my parents and their background and my childhood experiences, I love the idea of having it centered around a horse rescue ranch. Okay. Was this your brainchild um, as far as the story goes, or did somebody come up to you with a story and you just developed it as a writer? Yeah. So the producer, Tyler, I met him um, through a mutual friend of ours, actually from our semester at a random like party thing, okay. um, like three years prior. And he had just started, he was just starting a production company and he was, he was um, going into distributing as a sales distributor so he approached me and said, there's this hole in the market. I think you'd be really good at this. And there's this horse rescue ranch that I found. So I went out to the horse rescue ranch and met everyone there. And I just loved it. It was beautiful. Um, I love the mission. I love the people. Did and it bring back memories from when you were a kid? <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that manure smell yeah. always, always does. Yeah. Um, yeah, it did, and I was like, "Wow, I can do this." And I had I had friends who were concerned for me. They're like, "But this isn't this isn't why you went to film school. These aren't the movies you want to make." And I said, "But I know this world. I can do anything if I know the world, mm -hmm. right?" Right. And I felt I felt really good about it. And um, again, like in your gut, like this. Okay, this is part of my journey. And um, I just went out there and I just absorbed that that actual space and then we brainstormed the story and I sort of had direct direction on like things I had to hit so I wrote a first draft and there was like about I don't know 15 pages that didn't work and so I rewrote those pages and then we were done we had a draft like it was within three months wow that's a quick turnaround yeah yeah it was really fast yeah now did you get any any crap from any of the crew knowing that it was your first time at the bat or was it just smooth sailing? I I think there's always a period in the first two days mm -hmm. where people wonder. They're mm -hmm. like, "Is this for real? Is she real? Yeah. Like, is it, they're Does very she really skeptical? know what she's doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, okay, so just a side note: we had to shoot the whole climax of the movie, the horse show. There's a huge horse show on day two, so it's all of our talent. What? All of these horses. Yeah, it was. Like, wow. like it was, I know. And so that was the most impossible day. And I remember hearing people say, there's no way she's going to get through this. Like <laughs> I can, in the context, you can sometimes hear people through yeah. the actors' microphones and, and there's like, there's no way this is physically impossible. It's humanly impossible. Like I, the most we've ever shot on a day is like 10 pages. There's no way she'll do it. How blah, many blah, setups blah, blah. did you guys do? And, Oh my gosh, I don't know the setups. I just know we had to average like 10 pages a day. And then the horse show is just so crazy because um, there's all these horses. And mm -hmm. Well, that's the other you know, thing. You're, you're dealing with not only actors, but you're wrangling animals. So that's Yeah, it was thing. just insane. Yeah, it was insane. But um, I, w when we made that day, it was like, that's why I say day three or four. It was, And then day three, we shot this other huge scene that's at the end of the movie with all of our talent. Because you can only, we can only have, I think, Missy Pyle, like, four days in a row, and it was at the beginning of the shoot, so we had to shoot all her scenes at the beginning. Wow. Um, with, and with Joey Lawrence, so it was, yeah, it was crazy, but, like, after that, they're like, oh, we, we can do anything now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so thrilling. 
So that's sort of like what happened. So that's great. That's great. That's great that that, that was your first experience uh, doing a feature. Because, I mean, I've heard horror stories about it. Uh, not your feature, but from other people who have done their first feature. And it's been not that great. Um, but, yeah. um, but that's great. W were there people from film school in the crew? So on day two or three, during that time, I was like, we're going to be fine. This is going to all cut together, but I need Brian Schofield. <laughs> and Brian's our semester as well. And yes, Brian, yes. Brian's also from, from our class. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I like begged and pleaded and he's like, okay, because he had done bigger budgeted projects. Mm -hmm. um, he also worked with Terrence Malick. And I was like, Brian, I need you. Like, he was, was he editing on set or was this something in post-production? No, it was just all in post, but okay. once he signed on on day three, like officially signed the paperwork, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, we are going to be so fine. Because it's always un unnerving if you don't have your editor or know who you're at. Like, because in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm banking footage for Brian. I'm banking, like, because you want to go into that editing room and you want to have an A. You want your editor to look at you and be like, I'm so glad you shot this. I'm so glad you got this pickup I you know it's like yes yes you know so you want to you're as a director you're performing for your post team right um and so knowing who your post team is is very invigorating now is this movie is this movie part of uh kiss and tail productions no so I was a hired I was a hired gun so okay. I didn't even have ownership over either of the projects um okay. just a hired hired gun but kiss and tail is your banner right your production banner Yes, um, and tail is T-A-L-E. Yes, T-A-L-E. That's yeah. really fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pun. Yeah, I just wanted to have something. So I'm really into not only the thriller realm, but also femme, femme fatale erotic thrillers, Ooh. female sexuality, anything that has to do with, like, celebrating the female body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so Kiss and Tail, for me, kind of evokes that okay. idea in a fun way um so that's that's where i want to push like push myself towards so now let's fast forward a little bit and um we go to your second feature film destined to ride which recently came out on dvd and video on demand Con congratulations right, on that basically a basically a tv movie so when it's really released on dvd um, or Amazon streaming mm -hmm. <laughs> or on airplanes, it's basically the equivalent of your TV movie from yesteryear. Yeah. Okay. So for this for this film, you have uh, Lily, which is the main character. She's she's learning to live with her with her aunt. She's like a Zen-like guru. She lives in a ranch. And yes, the aunt. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And and. <laughs> and uh, she um she just got picked for cheerleading team in her school, and once again you have this character that she's thrown into this environment that she's not really used to. Um, her surroundings are different. Her situation is different, and with all this, she eventually becomes someone better and stronger, right? Yeah, yeah, very true. There's that there's that writing psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> you love it yeah well it's always uh, fun to yeah, to so kind of thread these these things together um especially when we're talking with one filmmaker in particular there's always something that bleeds from one film to the other 
even if it's subconsciously yeah. I, I don't know if you were thinking about it but um you know in watching your work uh, this is something that for me in particular always kind of came up so i just i just wanted to bring it up with you yeah so i so appreciate that that's really neat oh, of course yeah so um just tell me a little bit of how this project came about yeah, so the producer on the previous project, Emma's Chance, came to me right after we released and was like, we need to do another one. And I was like, oh, I don't <laughs> want to do another one. And he was like, no, we need to do another one. And I was like, but I want to do thrillers. And he was like, but you need to do another one. So it's it's really hard to say no when someone says, yeah, I'm going to pay you to make another movie. Right. Um, and, and to go into it right away. And also I got to have more liberty with, the story ideas um and and that was really fun because there's an element in the story from my childhood there's this um race culture that is called the ride and tie mm -hmm. and it's it's basically a horse and two human beings and one runs while the other one rides right. which is by the way it's the big set piece in the movie yes and so you know when we initially came up with the first draft it was something else and then I pitched the ride and tie concept and everyone loved it um the people that were gonna also distribute the movie mm -hmm. Sony and so they were like that's really fresh and original you know we can get behind this and so once once you know I mean these movies don't make a ton of money it's like you know a wage it's definitely pays your basic bills so when I when I found out that I could have certain elements in the story that I'm really passionate about, I was like, okay, I'm all in, um, and I and I'll write the script. And then I was also because I believe in the best idea wins. I really, you know, there were some scenes that didn't weren't very exciting for me that I had written, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to see if another writer has some better ideas? Mm -hmm. So I was. I we hired another writer to rewrite me, Brennan. Um, she did a fantastic, fantastic job. One of my favorite scenes she wrote entirely. Um, and so yeah, we just we ha and then we ended up with a great script, really a script I'm really proud of. And and then it was really fun. But for, after I think the first day we had Denise on set, we were over by the snack bar, and I said thank you so much. Like cause we had worked all day, but I just wanted to officially thank her for coming on and she mm -hmm. goes oh she's like are you kidding she's like the script got sent over to me and I was making dinner and I read it in just like one tweet for like 40 minutes and I on my phone or something and then I put it down and I texted yes I'm in she's like I knew right off the bat that she's like it's a great script you're a great writer and it was just so like awe-inspiring mm -hmm. by the way for, for our listeners Richard. when you say Denise you're talking about Denise Richards right Yes, okay. yes. And, you know, I, she plays this character that is from the city, moves to the country, but is really in a zen-like state, like very at peace, you know, meditates, yoga, like does all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, it was also my, I guess, desire to bridge the gap that we may have in our culture mm -hmm. where we can, we can coexist and there can be peace. It is possible. Um, but Denise is just like so dynamic and oh strikingly beautiful of course but funny and and just really understood the character i i that's one thing that i just 
blew me away. She like knew exactly what I was going for. Like she got it. And um, there's very little notes because, you know, she just, she had her own vision of it too. And the story itself has more brevity and, and, and um, more to play with for the actors, I should say. Those days when you're cracking the story, do you, do you outline, are you by yourself? Um, or do you have kids running around while you're trying to think about <laughs> all this? Yeah, I, sometimes I do well with the chaos, but when I'm with, when, it, when I'm working on an outline, mm -hmm. um, I'm in that, I'm with that pen and paper. I usually am in like a darker room. Like I'm, I, I like to be kind of in a cave. Right, right. And I just kind of like to stand back and look at big picture mm -hmm. and just make sure it's nothing crazy. Or do you like use index cards at all? Um, well, I'll do that. I'll write out the outline from beginning to end as if I'm telling a story to a group of people around mm -hmm. a campfire. And then I'll walk away from it and either the next day or eight hours later, I'll get a new piece of paper out and write it down from heart again. And I'll even, when I write it down, I even have the page numbers estimated because basically the page numbers equate to scenes and how long those scenes are. Mm -hmm. And so I do that like, I don't know, four or five times. And, and during that process, I find kinks and I find things that don't work. And then once I have that, then maybe I'll do index cards or I'll officially type it up like in a nice presentation type of document mm -hmm. um, to send over to the producers. But it also helps me clear my head. It's like a good process for me. And then once I go into pages, I never look at the outline again because I believe in like giving yourself permission to, to fall, to go wherever it kind of leads you. Mm -hmm. So it's like the outline is memorized and it's there and I kind of know where I'm going But I also found that some of the best moments happen when you let go of that outline. Which is great. So I mean, it's it's one of the things that I love about writing. You're constantly finding new things out that you never thought you'd get to uh, along the story. Yeah, exactly. And you also don't want it to be predictable, and you, mm -hmm. you want to keep the audience guessing. So if you as a writer aren't guessing mm -hmm. as you're going along, then you might be foreboding too much, or you might be giving away too much. So you want to keep it keep it, um, you know, keep those lean forward moments and keep it keep it flowing and exciting. Do you have a critic uh, in your own circle of trust where somebody you just keep coming to and, and show it to them? Yeah, I do. I have a core audience. It's like five or six people. It's my best friend, my other best friend, my mom, Michael, sometimes my oldest daughter, sometimes not, depending mm. on the <laughs> <laughs> um, content. But yeah, I have You know, like Daniel Hanna, because he writes. You know, I have, I have people that, you know, I trust. And to be completely honest, like I'm constantly rewriting as I'm going. So I probably am going through 50 drafts, but right. I do not send. I do not send out a draft until I feel like I truly believe I could go and make the movie as is. Oh, really? Because if I don't, yeah, okay. if I don't give it all I've got. Then, mm -hmm. then if, when someone comes back with a note like this does not work for me, blah 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 blah, I really like examine what, try to figure out what is bothering them. Like why did they have that reaction? Um, I mean it's still a rough draft. It's not perfect, but I try to do the very best 
but I can. Okay. Like, I don't send out anything that's kind of muddied, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And, oh, I also send to, like, my my, my manager. She's okay. a huge, huge um, asset. She She's a fabulous reader and tends to, you know, she's drawn to the same, you know, situations and stories that I am, so her instincts are really good and are you a day or night writer oh man when i'm in the thick of it i can go like i mean it's crazy like i'll just wear the same clothes for days (laughs) (laughs) like when i'm like like rocking and rolling and the world on paper is more real than the real world than our world we're in Mm -hmm. it's like i don't want it to leave like i don't it's so palpable that I don't want to lose it. Like I'll even arrange for people to pick up and drop off my kids. Like I don't even leave my space. Right. I like stay in a bubble. Um, but that's, that's usually around like page 40 to 80 <laughs> where I'm like, I'm gone right now. No one can stop me. Okay. And for you, where do those, the, you know, those awesome ideas, where do they come up? Where for me, it's the shower. I'm showering, <laughs> yes. and then I get this really awesome idea. And a couple years before, I used to say, okay, I have to remember this, I have to remember this, and then I get out of the shower, dry myself, put some clothes on, and when I go to write it, I say, okay, so what was it? But now, mm-hmm. like uh, maybe four years ago, my wife, she bought me these um, these shower notepads, and oh it's great. Easy. It can get wet, and it doesn't matter. You just write whatever comes to mind, and and then you just rip it off and bring it over to the computer and write it. It's fantastic. I I need those. I think I need those. Because what happens for me is I will literally open the shower door or whatever curtain and grab the phone with wet fingers <laughs> and just like, <laughs> touch it in my notes. Right. Take it. I'm like, oh, my God. Because I've learned that if I don't write down, I will lose it. So, w- staying in this thing of writing and rewriting and tough scenes, um, did it ever come up on set? You know, these scenes that you said, "All right, maybe, maybe, maybe I wrote it, and it's not working on the page, but whatever. I'll just deal with it on set." Did that happen at all? Were you rewriting on set, maybe, or something that just didn't come together? right up until the end yeah that's a really good question um so first off i am not opposed to that because i do think that that, that there has to be room for that mm-hmm. um you have to look at what's right in front of you and and go for the best thing idea or performance or whatever's happening with these two movies though the schedules were so tight like sometimes i only really get one or two takes um there was no room for error so the script had to be locked down like the like even at the like the last week before shooting I think I cut like 20 lines and honestly like even though I can do that and I'm capable of, and and dealing with any kind of budget or schedule I don't recommend that like I don't want to be that filmmaker who rushes through things and and is that we stick to like the script because like we're not going to make our day um so that's what I'm really looking forward in in this next project is to be more fluid and more spontaneous on set. What about your animals? Were they well-behaved? Because, you know, this is the second time working with uh, with horses. Yeah. Oh, man. Animals, wow. They are... (laughs) 
there's a whole realm for that. Like, like honestly, <laughs> yeah. Anyone who works with animals in movies should get like major bonuses. Um, for the most part, great. There, you know, the days where there was like a flash flood and fires and red ants. Um, horses are very happy. Not going to be happy. The horse is going to want to like run away because um, they they're animals. Um, and so you have to figure out like what you had in your head is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, 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 the lines are still going to be said and all of that, but the way you thought you were going to shoot it is gone and you've got to get adapt. creative. And you have to adapt. Yeah, you have to adapt. Um, so yeah, I mean, we were lucky to have a really uh, visually dynamic horse, mm-hmm. um, Doc, his name, his real name in real life, um, who plays Pistachio. He was so funny and so comical and second unit actually by the way michael corbel my significant other was my second unit director because i can trust him <laughs> okay and when i say i need this shot or that shot i know he can get it and so he went and got some great footage of doc that we were able to craft into the final edit because mm-hmm. when we were shooting him with the actors there just wasn't enough time to get all his silly little things he does by the way uh, d- w- when you're when, when you guys are 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 just planning this the the film and you in particular because you're you're the writer director are you do you storyboard while you're writing or do you storyboard after the writing's done and then come on set that is such a good question so one of the the things that my actors kept saying to me is like you know exactly what you want i love it you know exactly what you want and i was like well there's no other way that's the only way i have in my head you know (laughs) but i think when you write what you're going to direct like, for sure, absolutely, you can direct someone else's material. But when you're with the material and acquainted with it for so long, for so much, I mean, I, there was days where I'd read the script five times in one day, and I could see every shot. Um, though those, those images and those shots stay with you. So when you're on set and everyone's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, you're, you're so clear and concise because you've played the movie in your head so many times. Right. Yeah, I guess going into it, it's like storyboarded in my head. Um, Michael, like, he does commercials, and they storyboard everything. I mean, it's literally like scene by numbers because the agency is involved, and they want to know exactly because there's so much money involved, and Mm -hmm. there's a brand involved and everything, and so it's such a different beast. Now, obviously, if I was ever have the opportunity to do, like, a Marvel movie or something, like superhero, (laughs) and everyone wants to know, like, what, like, then I'll just transfer what I see in my head to a storyboard artist and we'll storyboard it out. But with these, you know, smaller budgets and like I, like I said before too, once a crew understands they're on a good ship in those first three days, they just trust. Do you feel comfortable improvising shots on the spot? Yes, because of Goldilocks and the iPhone stuff. Okay, so well, the, yeah, it do. all comes back yeah. to the wax on, wax off, right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it really does like yeah that's why it's so crazy to me when when these directors bless their hearts i'm sure they're great but they get hired and they have only done one short right and they get hired to do these huge movies and i'm like gee like yes every director should have a vision but there's so much more than just vision like you have to be able to handle problems like a hundred problems a day you know or whatever that come up you you just 
and and I think those are muscles that need to be exercised. I don't know. That's, that's my take on it. But okay. And before we we uh, we end talking about um, this particular film, I want to point out that your DP is Andrew Jarek, right? Yes, also from our yes. semester. <laughs> also from our semester. Yeah. I, I feel like he has a great eye for lighting and composition. It's great. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't Justin Teride gorgeous? Didn't he do? Yeah. Like yeah. And by the way, those at, at the end, I believe you have these uh, sweeping shots. Were those were those um, helicopter shots, or how'd you guys do that? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So. Or drone shots. Man, welcome. Yeah, welcome to the world of drone. Everything's changed. So, a producer Nick um, was able to find. We had no money for drones. So I think his roommate had a drone or something, and Michael was there. Michael was familiar with drone. We're also we had two different drone operators. I should mention the others, too. Um, but on this particular day for the end of the movie, we had a drone, and we had our stunt writer, and we only had, like, an hour to get it done. And I think we got it in that one take, and it worked. I mean, it was like... I mean, I think we tried like three or four times, and then we got it that once, and then that was it. It was like, mm -hmm. okay, we got it. Um, but man, doesn't it? When we were in post, and I was with my composer Andrew, um, also named Andrew. Um, I was like, this, this, I got this shot for you, so you can take it there. Like, you <laughs> push it all the way, you know, permission to like go epic and. That was so satisfying because again, you're performing for your team. You're 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 trying to deliver them opportunities to to shine. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that drone footage really gave him that opportunity to take the score there, and I'm so happy. Yeah, and and, and it does. Ourselves. Another thing is that it makes sense with within the story, even though it's the end. We feel like there's a, a bigger world out there that uh, she just discovered. And she's now part of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, see, that's why yeah. you're a good writer and editor. Because you, like, can see things. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the idea of it. Because um, there was notes where, like, well, shouldn't she have her epic ride before she goes with her, you know? And I was like, no, because we need closure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We need to see that her life has evolved and we're trying to give it all away. But, you know, it, it's, it's a new chapter yeah. and gives us hope for the tomorrow and all of those yummy good feelings right right so um it's destined to write people out there uh you can find it on itunes on movies anywhere uh, uh voodoo that, yeah you I can find it like in in i think the red boxes or on Redbox and walmart obviously in target and barnes and noble uh, I think yeah, you said iTunes, Amazon. There's, it's, I know that's like even Direct TV or those cape where you can stream it. You can pay. Or the plane. Yeah. Or the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I I know you've done. Please, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, but please give reviews because I think we're so busy in today's hectic world that you know it's hard to give a review. So if you have a chance to give a review and anyone's listening, like we would love it because I do think it's a special story that a lot of kids should watch and we're really proud of it. Mhm. Mm yeah. And these reviews help cuz they they bring these uh probably hidden titles out of the darkness. Yes. 
They do. People read reviews. They actually read the customer reviews, I think, more than the critic reviews. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So after doing these two family films back-to-back, What's in the horizon for Anna Elizabeth James? Is there a thriller, perhaps? Because <laughs> I've heard the word thriller, but I don't yeah. see anything. Yeah, well, I know, You know right? what? Uh, what happened to Drop Off? I, I read something about something you were cooking up called Drop Off. Is that, is that still on the table? Yeah, so I have a treatment for that, and okay. that's a really cool, fun idea. Um, but it's one of those things where I meet with my manager, and we look at all the material, and we go, okay. What's, what's the one that should go now? And we've decided it's this other one called Grace. Okay. Um, Grace. It's a thriller. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the drop-off is definitely still there, too. So what are, what are your current goals? I mean, because I know every time you reach one, you just want to grab further on to another one. <laughs> um, but yeah, r- I, right I, now, I, as, as far as uh, filmmaking goes. Yeah, I really want to push myself um, – with being able to explore more in set. So we have to have a certain level of talent on this project that allows that sort of budget, mm-hmm. um, but still being within line with, with the budget <laughs> and time. But so I, I want to do that. I want to push myself. I don't want to rush through like I have on these other two movies where it was just so, I mean, it was beautiful and wonderful, but it was also very hard to, to focus on your, you know, your directing muscles when you're just kind of filling in just what was written. Um, so I want to do that. I long to do that. And then the other thing is I would love to go to Cannes, the con. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Sundance would be beautiful too. I'm in Utah, but that's just, you know, <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> love to go to like, I'd love to have the festival experience and come out of like that realm um, and, and carve out like this, the space in this genre of the femme fatales or the, you know, hmm. the thrillers. I will be watching. Yes, all the way from Florida. When, when I come, and I'm going to come visit you, and we're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get so many visitors. Well, it'll be I, so I, fun. Let me, tell you, let, let me tell you what. Ever since we moved over here, there hasn't been a month where we haven't had visitors. Because my <laughs> family, yeah, well, my family lives in Puerto Rico. And that's like uh-huh. a three-hour flight, right? S- versus going to to Southern California, which if they had a, 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 a trip that lasted nine and a half hours, that was a good one. Because usually they had right. a layover either in Texas or in Miami, and that would be a two or three-hour layover. Um, right, right. And that would be brutal. No, th- how, and how special for your kids to be around, you know, their family like that and and, you, and and it's one thing the other thing that we should point out too with just filmmaking is it's so much of a solo experience in many cases I mean yes you have to be with others who are on sets but once like we're we're both just carving out our own thing where you can do that anywhere yep. you might as well go where you, you know you can get the most accomplished so I think that's wonderful, and um, I'm totally going to hit you up. <laughs> You're not going to – my kids will be like, what? We can go to Florida? Yeah, no, well, um, look, our doors are open. Um, I know you guys. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be, be great to, to have uh, people over. Uh, the kids love it. Yeah. They, they like the company. 
So yeah, for sure. That's so cool. So did did your kids watch Destined to Ride? Did they? Did yeah, they... yeah, yeah. They were there. Yeah. Aww. Of course. That makes me so happy. Yeah. See, now you understand too. When I do the erotic thriller and the kids can't yeah. watch it, as I a, won't feel so bad. As a matter of fact, <laughs> uh, Alexander, the my oldest one, he um he was telling he was asking me through throughout the film he was saying why why is is she so angry always. And I had to explain about teenage angst. Because um, <laughs> he, he's saying she, she's always she's she's always angry about nothing. She's angry about uh, with her dad about nothing. <laughs> so yeah. So I had I had to explain to him. You know, it it happens. You know, sometimes it's hormones. Sometimes it's because you know they're still kind of kids and they don't quite get what's going on um yeah yeah that was also, Madeline has these awesome dark eyebrows and so maybe he's like being affected by <laughs> you know but she has such a cool look and oh my gosh she's so good she's yeah. such a fantastic I can't wait to work with her again but they they were but into into the movie from beginning to end so oh really oh good yeah yay so they like the, the race so yeah I think the kids like the race <laughs> yeah yeah it's so fun well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much, Richard. Yeah. I no, thank, am so thank you. for you. Thank you so much for taking a time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. This was this was great. And yeah, um, no, it's that semester. I mean, we're like family. You know, it just yeah. feels like home. So I love it. Yeah. Well, if you're down for it, we could have you on again, but maybe as a guest host. I mean, we can talk about whatever you want in entertainment media and movies tv shows books plays episodes you just pick one and we'll <laughs> dive into it awesome i will i'm gonna take you up on that yeah well before before we leave um where can we find uh you know in this vast ocean that is the internet where can we find yeah. some of you you know do you have a website social media presence oh, okay yeah so my website is annalizabethjames.com um, just my work is there. So, but I'm on Facebook as Anna Elizabeth James. I'm also on Twitter, Twitter as Director AEJ, I believe. I'm <laughs> not very good at Twitter, I'll be honest. Okay. I'm very into Instagram. I do a lot of Insta stories and stuff. Very visual that way. Um, and that's Anna Elizabeth James as well. All right. Well, once again, thank you, Anna, for being so gracious with your time, and to everyone out there listening. Go and make something, express it, feel it, live it, but please don't forget to breathe. We're out. <laughs>